everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 153rd episode of the podcast, airing March 20th, 2023. Happy Equinox to all. Now, in this episode, I'm delighted to welcome back special guest S.J. Anderson to join me on the program to chat about Aries Equinox season 2023 where we take on one of the most exciting seasons of the year. Aries energy is coming in hot, with not one, but two new moons in the initiating energy of cardinal fire, with the added bonus of the second one being a solar eclipse. Listen in as we discuss these powerful lunar cycles, along with the mundane signatures of the Aries ingress chart, the much-anticipated ingresses of Mars into Cancer and Pluto into Aquarius, and of course, all the other celestial action that is sandwiched between these bookend lunations. Prepare for a rush of inspiration as many shifts take place, and don't be surprised if your life and those around you encounter a dynamic pivot or two. Now, to follow along with us as we go through the charts and do our delineations, you can tune into the video version of this episode on YouTube. Now, if you'd like to support this program, come on over to energeticprinciples.com, where you can book a personal consultation with yours truly. You can leave a tip in my tip jar, and you can also sign up for my monthly transit newsletter, The Heavenly Wind, which goes out at the beginning of each month. It's chocked full of information and it's free to your inbox. Uh, And I really don't send a whole lot of other things out, so don't worry about being spammed by me. Uh, But it is a meaty newsletter and a lot of people enjoy it. So come on over and sign up. All right. Well, who is ready to hear all about Aries Equinox season 2023? Here we go. Now let's meet our guest. All right. All right. The Energetic Principles podcast is back, and we're going to be talking about Aries Equinox season 2023 in this episode, and we've got a special guest back on the program, S.J. Anderson. Thanks for joining me again, S.J. Extremely happy to be here. Thanks for having me, and I can't wait to get into all of this stuff. Very exciting time for astrology, so it's great to be with you and get to talk about it. Yeah, I had a I had SJ on my mind with Aries season for a handful of months. For some reason, you just popped right in, and I was like, "This is the person I need to talk to." Uh, I think it coincides with the fact that you have several Aries planets. <laughs> so, if someone knows a thing or two about Aries, I think it's going to be SJ here. So, um, you might have caught him on the program before. Uh, actually, Pisces season last year, I believe, and we did a good. Uh, rendition of Pisces season. I remember when we were talking about it too, we got to the point at the end where we like saddled up to the Aries ingress and you're like, well, I just kind of have to talk about this before we leave (laughs) because it was so big. (laughs) We can't, can't leave it. And it was a huge ingress. So let's see what this year uh, brings. But before we get started here, SJ, tell the listeners uh, a little bit about yourself, who, who you are, what you do. I'm a consulting astrologer, uh, a, a social media astrologer, I guess is a label I've, I've been thinking about because I'm so active on social media. 
I publish a lot of stuff on Twitter and YouTube, and I just, I'm out there kind of talking about astrology and uh, grabbing it by the horns, you might say, is, is one way to think about it. I like to just stay engaged with the ongoing transits and and stay engaged uh, with my audience. That's kind of one way I think about some, some of the work I do. And then obviously consulting, I see clients, a lot of clients every week and just love being an astrologer, love finding meaning in the movement of the heavens that can inspire us to be the best people we can be. So that's kind of the short of it, um, you know. <laughs> the short and the long of it. Yes. Nice nice summary there. And where, uh, what are your active social media channels that you're most on? I'm on uh, Twitter right now uh, as my kind of most active, you know, sometimes multiple times a day at SJ Anderson 144 on Twitter. And that's uh, my at for everything. My website is sjanderson144.com and YouTube sjanderson144. Those are the only ones I'm doing right now. I, I pruned my social media world uh, during Mars and Gemini, which is coming up here to an end. But that was a big part of my goals were to get a little bit more efficient with just picking a few channels that I could be most effective on. So I think that is very smart. Uh, very smart. Um, what can I ask you what the 144 means? Is there a sure. Meaning? Yeah. Well, the the, the it, 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 there's not really a meaning. I would have preferred S.J. Anderson, but it was taken. <laughs> um, and so then I was like, I could either do like the ha- uh, underscore, and I just didn't like that. I figured I'll just do a number. Part of it because I imagine like 300, 400 years from now, there's going to be many S.J. Andersons with many numbers. So the numeral will be what identifies which S.J. Anderson I will be, you know, in history. And so I had to pick a number and I was looking for ones that I uh, was attracted to. I like prime numbers and there wasn't really any that were that attractive. And then 144 was, and the 144 also has astrological significance because there's 12 rising signs mm-hmm. and 12 ha- potential houses that the ruling uh, ruler of the ascendant could be in or, or other signs. So there's 144 combinations of rising signs and then the sign of the planet that rules the rising sign. So there's that. It's also a Fibonacci number. Um, and, and so it's, and it's not a prime number, but it's a Fibonacci number, which is an important sequence for, you know, the architecture of reality. So yes. I figured it's part of what I'm doing here and why not just use this one? So that is so funny. It started out as like just a a mundane need where SJ Anderson was taken (laughs) and you ended up defining yourself on these different levels. I love it. That's, that's great. It is a powerful number. You know, you you feel like you had the, the like oomph of the one and then the, you know, the master of the four, four, you know, like, and then paired together. It's a, it was meant to be. Was meant to be. (laughs) You know, I used to have SJ Anderson on Twitter back when Twitter first started in like 2008. I owned that, and then I deleted. I've deleted Twitter. I had a few little iterations, and then I lost it. And so when I got back on finally in 2017, then I was having to make these decisions. But it's just a you know, it's strange uh, how these what uh, words and characters are going to define us. You know, online, Um, it's a whole conversation. Very Gemini, I think. (laughs) where Mars is now. (laughs) I know. Get those conversations in while you can, because Aries season has Mars moving out of Gemini, which is going to be big because, I mean, obviously Gemini, Mars has been in Gemini since August of last year. I mean, I think we need to throw a global party when, and this is coming from someone who has Mars in Gemini. Like I'm, I'm over it. (laughs) Like I'm over myself. 
Um, but it's uh, you know, it's gonna be really important because we're in Aries season. Aries is a Mars sign. So Mars changing signs just in general after all this time is super important. But the fact that it's doing so in Aries season adds a little oomph to it. Now, nice. you know, one of the big things about the Aries ingress, which is going to happen on, uh, depending on where you are in the world, but here in Southern California, it's going to happen on Monday, March 20th. And I mean, we all know it as the equinox. Anyway, it's easy for us Northern hemisphere people to go to the spring equinox, but we got to remember <laughs> those down below are experiencing fall time. So SJ, what, I mean, what are your thoughts on just equinox in, in general? Any, any insights? Yeah, they're beautiful times of major pivots, um, collective and, per- and interpersonal and personal. So I think they should be celebrated and acknowledged. I mean, it's a highly significant moment where the sun, which is the center of our existence, right? If the, even if this is a matrix or some kind of programmed reality, whatever it is, the sun is the life giver. And so our astrology, even uh, Vedic astrology, not all astrologies, but most astrologies will define themselves uh, by the movement of the sun, aka the ecliptic, and they, we project the all other points in the sky to that line that the sun makes. I mean, the sun is, I mean, just today, it was bright out. I woke up, I was like, there's a lot of sun out there. Boy, I want to get out and just bathe in that a little bit before I was going to be on this show, just to get some of those vitamins and just feel the vibrancy and the vitality of it. So it's a huge, the sun itself and its movements is foundational to everything in our or most everything in the astrological system, but outside of astrology too, agriculture, um, you know, how we uh, even build our lives around like the seasons. I mean, mm-hmm. kids are off in the summer. We go play in the summer when there's more sun, we go to the beaches. Um, when the sun is small, we're usually trying to brave those periods. So the sun is essential and these pivots should be celebrated and seen through that lens in my view. Yeah, it's uh it is. It's a big, it's it's always a big turning point. We all feel it, you know, we're like <laughs> we're like, oh, here comes spring, you know. This the sun is, you know, because it's equal day, equal night. Sun's gonna take over here, at least uh up here on on top the top half of the planet here. Um, and another thing about you know, airy season is the sun is exalted there, right? Sun likes Aries, doesn't it? It does. We love Aries. We love it because we get start getting more light, as you mentioned. And so, yeah, the astrological, the tropical astrology, especially Northern Hemisphere tropical astrology, really taps into the seasonal component um, well. And this is a great time. Get out. Go enjoy the sun would be my advice to people starting on 20 March for that 30 day roughly period. Get out into the sun as much as you can. And even in the Southern Hemisphere, they're losing the sun. So these might be some of the final moments to enjoy some sunshine mm. before you're, you know, it goes by more significantly. Yeah, I just hear the song in my head, the classical song, which I'm forgetting the name of it or the composer. But it's like they, they used to use it in cartoons all the time where they'd be waking up like the, I think it's called the morning song or something like that. It's like do, 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 that is, I think, a Tchaikovsky piece, isn't it? Um, it's, um, um, it's, it's, no, no, it's like a, let me see. Let me see if, um, I'm thinking classical. of, um, uh, or, or is it, is it, um, oh, it's called Morning Mood. I think it's called Morning Mood by, okay. Uh, I think it might be 
Edver, Edvard Grieg. Edvard Grieg. Okay. Okay. Edvard Grieg. Okay. Edvard wow. Grieg. You know, look at, look it up. I think it's, uh, the William morning Tell moon. Overture is more iconic for the morning suite. Oh, is it part of the okay. William Tell or Overture? Anyways, I am. Okay. If you can't tell, we're recording on the yeah. crazy, uh, and I say that in the nicest way, uh, Neptune week. <laughs> uh, with Mars wearing Neptune right now. So if, if a tangent or two is had, I think um, <laughs> it's going yeah. to be apropos. <laughs> So, so it's Edvard Grieg, Peer uh, Gint, uh, and this is the um, Henrik Ibsen play of the same name. So Peer mm. Gint is a play that's, I like when we tap into this this music, it's incidental music for this play, but that play uh, is not one I know too well, but there's whole stories there, right? That's what's so cool. Like there's probably some dramatic thing of someone dying or loving, or it probably <laughs> has relevance to Aries season <laughs> with Venus and Taurus, right? I, During some yeah. of this. Yeah. So. Well, we'll have to do some investigation uh, yes. on the other, other side if anybody else wants to go down that wormhole and see yes, where yes. you end up. Uh, because, you know, if there's anything that uh, that's the lovely thing about Aries season um, is that spark or that inspiration or that insight. And like one little thing like, oh, I think about a song here can like just jump you in to with enthusiasm to to go down this whole different, not, I don't know, different path, sometimes a different path, but you know, that's kind of cardinal, cardinal fires. It has that, uh, off to the races and it has a quick spark to it. Um, yeah, that's, do you feel like there, you're like that at all in your, in your personal life of like <laughs> bodying a, all the Aries energy? Oh, for sure. And how I describe it to people, maverickism is my favorite word, maverick or maverickism. And it's there really is a kind of solitary component to it where and this is where you get the sun, the exalted sun. The sun is the selfhood. The sun is the consciousness of the individual. And 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 so um, having Mars, planet of action and then the sun of uh, domicile uh, uh, as the domicile Lord of Aries and then the sun, the planet of self and consciousness as the exaltation Lord. It really does become about action for in service of self, and and I and I say this not in a uh, selfish way. It's more of a um, knowing what you want and then being willing to kind of break free. You might say this is why I like Maverickism from the expectations of others or the context that you're embedded in to kind of honor your, you know, your um, desires. You might mm-hmm. say, and so. Mm-hmm. Yes, in my life. I mean, I, I've traveled alone. I've left my family. I've left America, left my home country, and I just kind of off on my own journey. And and I'm very comfortable with that. And I love that um, way of being. So, you know, in relationships, sometimes Aries can get a bad rap for maybe being um, less concerned <laughs> about <laughs> others. But I think it can be a great energy, too, because you can be led by Aries energy. You know, if you're, if you're attaching yourself to strong Aries, sometimes that can lead one out of a comfort zone or bring more of this experimental, like you're mentioning, or this kind of more exciting adventurism might be a key word. So it can be really fun energy to, to um, get around or be involved with. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, if anything wakes you up, gets you going, you know, (laughs) There, there's a spark there. It'll, uh, yeah, it's, it just literally gets things going. And I think that's why I love this time of year, just because especially here in the Northern hemisphere, we're getting out of winter 
you know, <laughs> and we've all been hibernating in some way or another. Um, sometimes that's not literally where we get to like sleep and do all that, but there's just the sense of the soul being in its own hibernation. And then it's kind of woken up again here. So now what is fascinating about this particular season is that we get not one, but two new moons in Aries. And one happens to be a solar eclipse. So just that, that Aries went from like, you know, typical every year Aries to like super Aries season. (laughs) So, um, that's going to be big. And we're definitely going to talk about all that. We also have a full moon in Libra and we have cardinal quarters, which to me, you know, uh, when we have cardinal quarters, life is moving, life is shifting, new energy is coming in initiations. I mean, what do you, what do you think about two new moons slash solar eclipse in Aries? <laughs> I'm really pumped up about it. I think it's a great time to kick off what is going to be a two-year faded change activation of an eclipse cycle in Aries Libra. And so that we get two here, and really we've had Jupiter in Aries Mm -hmm. providing and laying the groundwork and expanding this part and sector of our charts that... Um, so I, f- I feel like it's part of a combination of this first phase, let's say, of Aries activation that we are living through. Because keep this in mind, it's not um, just Jupiter and Aries, then eclipses in Aries, but then Saturn and Neptune are in Aries. Saturn doesn't leave Aries until 2028 20, and 2029. This is a major, major player for everything and everybody for quite a long time. And so my sense is that the two here are just, it's another signal from the ephemeris of like, okay, what pay attention to Aries. Think about Aries. Think about your Aries house. Think about these themes. I want to just read this thing. I've been using chat GTP. I know people, some people hate it, <laughs> but I use it. And I just typed in here, summarize the themes of Pierre Ghent, a uh, hundred words. And it just goes through. It follows the journey of this Norwegian man, searches for identity and purpose. So there's the Aries themes of the plan includes search for self-identity, nature of reality. I think that's uh, Saturn and Pisces conflict between social norms and individual desires that's a very aries theme because you know aries is going to say sorry social norms i'm just going to honor my own desire and and go with that and that's the that's the um the real feature of aries like you want that you need that we need that collectively uh and spring's perfect for it because we've been hibernating now we get we get the weather conditions and i know not down under but to where you can consider going out you know a lot of times people say well what are you doing after winter's over when the snow melts what are your plans and this is a kind of very Aryan, but this is the one thing I wanted to say. It offers a critique of social conventions and conventions and encourages individuals to find their own unique path in life. Uh, so how Aries is that? Yeah. Uh, Makes oh, me I'm want so to go watch you it. Look, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we all got to go watch it. That's our Aries homework. But uh, I love that. Thank you for looking that up, SJ. That's so perfect, you know. And so back to like the Neptune week that we're in right now. Of course, a song would come out out of nowhere sing a song and then there's so much symbolism and meaning behind it that like links into exactly what we're talking about here. <laughs> oh, yeah. the universe and your magic. You just yes. never fail to impress. <laughs> yes. Yes. No. So, oh yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say so back to like these two eclipses. No, I just think it's it's a real combination too. It's a marker this whole season between the eclipse season first one of 2023 and how different reality will be on either side of it because Mm. jupiter will have left aries for good this round after these eclipses 
yeah. it leaves in between eclipses. And so I'm just encouraging people, even pre-eclipse with that first new moon, it's like a chance to really feel into the Aries sector and enjoy Jupiter there and these kind of final combinations of Jupiter and Aries before reality gets strangeness. And then we're now in a whole new realm after in summer. Yeah. And yeah, and it's so interesting because there's the only way that we can have two new moons. Uh, and, you know, because sometimes we do have two new moons in one side. Um, it's not as often that we have two new moons and one happens to be an eclipse. That's not every day type of thing. But it really only can happen when the first one happens at zero degrees and the last one happens at 29. Sometimes give or take, maybe one, 28, you know, it just depends. Yeah. But there's something to be said about doors that open at the beginning of something and doors that open at the close of something. Also, you know, there's there's other interesting storylines that kind of go with that, too. So that's something to think about. And maybe we'll kind of dive into that with each new moon and think about the the numeral degree and what that might mean, because both zero and twenty nine are powerful. You know, twenty nine is anoretic degree. Zero is uh, it's anoretic in its own right, but it's a different sort of, you know, it's in the encapsulation of just about everything, right? <laughs> you can think about zero just as a number. Um, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. So, well, another thing with Aries season here is obviously we're getting settled into the shift of Saturn and Pisces. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to say, actually, I almost kind of jumped in and was going to say like, hey, Keep in mind, this is all new uh, initiation, maverickism, and identity energy that uh, comes right as we now have a whole new foundation for our our, our astrology and then our and on our chart, which is wherever Saturn is. And so that's a big part of it. But go ahead, I, I wanted to say that. And I no, like, oh, I, I think that's where we are. That's that's where we are with Saturn. And well, let me just ask you real quick, SJ. Like, what's your Whoa, <laughs> bird just threw a fluid to the window. <laughs> um, what are your thoughts on uh, Saturn coming into Pisces after being in its strength for so long? I am pumped up. I am elated. I'm I'm fascinated and excited with the possibilities, the creative potentials. That's my main keyword for Saturn and Pisces. It's this. It's the most creative sign in many ways because it is a Venus ruled sign by exaltation. It's a Jupiter ruled sign by domicile. It's a water sign. So you're in the inner worlds of create, which so much of creativity happens in our inner selfhood, you know? And so I've just, my, a lot of my work with it has been about expanding creative expansions of all kinds and in all fields, film, music. Uh, the example I've been thinking about maybe more than any has been the, music of the 1960s and leaving uh, folk music. So the career of Bob Dylan in particular, when he goes electric during Saturn and Pisces, mm -hmm. and you can listen to those albums that are just totally tripped out and surreal. Uh, Miles Davis, uh, his second great quintet, uh, released their first album during this. That's tripped out surreal music. But it's really pushing the boundaries of what we think is creatively possible. And that's the most uh, the primary way I'm thinking about it. You know, you've got, I think it's uh, really wonderful for all of us that we, it's not so serious. We can have buoyancy. This is another keyword I've been uh, using yeah. a lot for just a more buoyant reality. And yeah. thank God. So <laughs> <laughs> thank God. But well, that's a little ironic with Pisces as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I totally feel you on the, on the music front because uh, I actually started doing a um, 
little personal project for myself that I'm sharing with on uh, Instagram where I'm putting together playlists for uh, Saturn and Pisces. And I just did a, uh, I did my first edition of 90s hip hop. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. So I just posted that. You can find it on my my Instagram, but it's it's through Spotify. It's like a two hour playlist. And so I can't wait to get the 60s because I mean, the 60s is uh, I spent a lot of time collecting music from that era. So yes. I get ready for that. But there was something that was very, you know, because the 90s and the hip hop, um, I mean, for me in my age, uh, you know, I was like 15, 16 or so, 14, 15, 16, somewhere in there. And so it was, it was big, like this music shaped, I feel like both of these eras of Saturn and Pisces, especially since I have a fifth house Pisces and a South node there really shaped me, uh, musically. So it's interesting to go back there, but I was just fascinated by the, you know, I'm tangenting again, but I was fascinated by the yeah. fact that Jupiter um, in 1994, Jupiter was in Scorpio. And so Jupiter was making trines to Saturn. And here we had all these themes come up with, um, you know, more really more overtly sexualized songs and uh, violence, you know, songs about violence and drug violence um, and, you know, poverty and, you know, the kind of gangster rap coming up and, and the themes that were along there. And it's, it's just like, you couldn't have painted a more perfect astrological picture of like the expression of that time, bringing these themes into, <laughs> which were carried on, you know, it was a unique thing about that time that then influenced music far, um, much farther than that. So it's pretty fascinating. Oh, yeah. Uh, rolling down the street, smoking Indo, sipping on gin and juice. Uh, that that came out. I remember uh, blasting that song in high school and smoking weed. I don't do any drugs or alcohol these oh, days, but I spent yeah. tons of time doing drugs during Saturday Pisces yeah, me too. in the 90s. Um, one other just quick example I want to give, because I think it really typifies and it's a really strong one, is um, the Beatles. So they emerge mm -hmm. uh, Saturn and Aquarius. And this is how I think about Saturn and Aquarius as innovative, new structures of innovation that kind of set in and so the piscean then is the way it comes and we get to explore uh now it's like it sets and then we get to explore those foundations and be the beatles are perfect because they arrive ed sullivan saturn and um aquarius i think jupiter and aries yes during ed sullivan and mm -hmm. then and so the jupiter saturn cycle the 60s matches where we are now but by the time saturn gets to aries sergeant pepper's released and you can just put pictures up of like their early albums i think it's called with the beatles and it's uh -huh. like black and white it's so saturn and, and they're like these you know it's kind of austere looking uh portraits and then you you get to saturn and aries and it's the psychedelic it's totally been unleashed as saturn moves through pisces and so i'm very excited I, i'm encouraging everybody unleash your creativity like that's it's don't let saturn restrict this is the time to let saturn um unrestrict right it's going to loosen saturn is, is is how i think about it especially with the trines to jupiter and taurus that come later in the year and i know or the sextiles part mm -hmm. of me i know we're way off on tangents here but it's good context for everything yeah. that we're going to talk about because this is very important context post eclipse season you get the sextile with jupiter in taurus sextiling saturn and pisces and just mm -hmm. how creative is that venus ruling both so lovely so yeah it's a, yeah it's an it's an opening act of uh creative form basically um and and form from the abstract you know that's that's essentially that's what music is uh, you know yeah. some of it's more <laughs> cut in line but you know when we think about those transitions in saturn and pisces um and even like the beatles example there um 
yeah, there's, it's a little messy, but it's also, uh, you got to make a mess to create something, right? Creation is not, you know, <laughs> austere, clean cut, you know, like it's, you got to just kind of get in there, make a mess, see what you create. So that is exciting about, so that's a big shift. Obviously we are feeling that, um, we already talked about the fact that Mars is moving out of Gemini and into cancer. So that is going to be a big shift this season, but we also have Pluto moving into Aquarius. I know. What do you, what do you think? How do you feel? Um, (laughs) I feel really happy and excited. I think it could be turbulent uh, and we have to keep in mind it's November, 2024 when the shift is made finally. So it's a little bit of an elongated transition period here that we start March, 2023 finish November, 2024, um, from the mundane, I'm more interested from the mundane and this cycle, the key, um, the core of it, in my view, you can go to the 16th century version, uh, which, uh, saw the Protestant reformation. And the core of that is the notion of what is a human being vis-a-vis God. Uh, and, and we find that there was this kind of reinvention of the selfhood, that was required to withstand the sort of more Aquarian pressures of that era, which fits with the sun being uh, exiled in Aquarius. It's like, where, who is the self? Where is the self? We have to get innovative around that. But the Protestant Reformation was an example where individuals can now go right to God without an intermediary. And then the second example is, of course, the uh, Enlightenment and the political uh, side of the Enlightenment in the 18th century and just how important that was. It's it's along the same theme, though, which is that individuals have unalienable rights, that they don't need a monarch or to give them those powers, the rights derived from something essential in the self and um, how that transforms everything in terms of just a worldview. So I think, and just to quickly come back to tie it to Saturn and Pisces, when we have these the AIs coming online now, and I just used it there, but <laughs> there's a real question. I lo- I'm embracing it. I think these are the new technologies that are similar to like the electric guitar or to other sonic technologies in the mid-1960s that allowed for that. that all that music is because you had new innovations in like 8-track and 4-track and all that. Mm-hmm. But so, but we ha- we're going to have to figure out, you know, who are we against the backdrop of these technologies and what is a human being? And what it, what does it mean to be human and and how do we kind of redefine that to sustain it and maybe give it more strength than it's ever had? And I think it'll have to be against the backdrop of things like technocracy or transhumanism or all of those conversations are the ones I'm, I'm, I'd like to have. Last thing I'll quickly say is it ends in like 2043 finally. So mm. it's going to be 20 years here. We're going to settle into this for a long time and I'm excited. I'm pumped up. Uh, I'd love it. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's fascinating that you say that about the uh, learning what it is to be human. And the irony of AI right now is it's teaching us because we've only fed it with what it is to be human. You know, we're we're reading back or we're getting back what who we actually are. And so I think we get to learn about a lot about ourselves mm-hmm. through um, the AI because it's only spitting out what it's spitting out is because we put it in, yeah. you know, so... Yeah. And there's, there's some problematic parts to that, uh, you know, but I think that's part of the process. Um, so, you know, like SJ said, we're, we're embarking on a 20 year cycle and we have a couple years of kind of dipping in and out of Capricorn and Aquarius still, but there is something to be said about an ingress, you know, an ingress will show you something. So (laughs) 
<laughs> it'll show you something. So we're going to have our eyes uh, peeled to see what comes up with Pluto and Aquarius. Now, another thing just to mention before we get into our Aries ingress chart is that all you know, all the major planets are still in direct motion, still moving along here. Uh, now Mercury is going to slow down to station retrograde, but that's going to happen right after the uh, the eclipse um, and when Taurus season starts. So we still have all planets direct, but Mercury is about to change that, but not quite yet, which is so, I mean, maybe we'll touch on that just a little bit when we get to the eclipse, but it's pretty fascinating to have a Mercury slowing down and about to... Turn around right during an eclipse, but all right. Well, let's get into our uh, our Aries ingress chart. So, if you're watching the video, we're gonna share um, our transits for March twentieth, twenty twenty three. I have it set for Washington D.C. and that's five twenty four p.m. Um, yeah. So, you know, I have it set for Washington. So there is kind of a theme of what's going on in the U.S. in this particular chart. But as SJ was talking about before we got on, you know, these themes are for the entire world. Uh, Everybody everybody is going to have the same chart, just with different houses (laughs) and different (laughs) rising signs and midheavens and stuff like that. So, I mean, when you see this chart, SJ, what's the first thing that pops out to you? First thing I looked at was the wide orb sign-based square between Saturn and Mars. I think it's really important to acknowledge how uh, this year the the mutable signs take over in terms of where the throttling is going to take place. And I say Mm -hmm. that with an astrologer kind of, I use that verb intentionally because Saturn and Mars, one way to think about the label malefic is just that they signify things that can be feel like a, a real ride that we get taken on. It's often challenging, you know, where things get changed. Mars will come in and reform things with uh, sometimes even stark events that can happen that are martial. Uh, Saturn is, requires us to maybe lose things in order to understand what we have, you know, or to struggle. And in, in an immutable sign, we're talking about two hats being worn, worn simultaneously. We're talking about a lack of certainty between what is uh, in terms of what formerly was and then what will be. And so there's this real kind of struggle uh, in, in, uh, with transition that I think defines this year, because remember the uh, Aries and Ingress chart, and I know you know, but uh, uh, for the folks out there, this can define the energy for one year. That's mm-hmm. why astrologers are so excited when we want to examine these, because we may be talking about a full year of theme until the next Aries Ingress. And I see 2023 as a real, as a major transition period because, uh, and 2024, but we're getting into these uh, ingresses of outer planets that finally settle in 2026. And so Saturn and Pisces will oversee, which is a mutable sign of transition, Pisces oversees the Neptune ingress into Aries, the uh, Uranus ingress into Gemini and the Pluto ingress into Aquarius. All will be overseen while our foundational planet Saturn is in this strange mutable time. But with Mars squaring, it just means there could be some discomfort here. And I encourage people to just relax. The banking systems are we've seen failing this week. We've got all kinds of wild changes that we're living through technologically with the AIs, like we just talked about the war in Ukraine. I mean, everything's in play and it could be some major shifts here. So that's my first opening sort of salvo uh, with with this chart. The first thing that I noticed. Mm. Do you uh, what do you think about uh, 
Neptune and the moon's presence as well in relation to Mars um, kind of being, <laughs> once again, a mutable square. It's like an interesting combo. <laughs> yeah. I think it's part of a uh, big part of what, what I uh, just, it, it's a, it underscores and extends and makes more specific the the kind of general conversation that I just mentioned, because the moon is the people in mundane yeah. astrology. And this is the masses of people um, in this kind of watery confusion is a keyword I like for Neptune. Um, I think it's beautiful confusion. And the, the beauty of confusion is there's a release of pressure to even understand and we can kind of let ourselves um, go day to day and just m- present moment to present moment and trying not to be as fixed on what will be. And so we may need to deploy that Neptunian model as we get into some really wild and dynamic changes that this whole reality is set to undergo. And and so it could be with, with the masses of people, what might this be? Well, the AIs are changing everything. Um, they're going to continue to change everything. Uh, and I think people, that's why I encourage people to start in, uh, interfacing with it because it may be that your job is threatened, right? If someone, if the AI can write copy, do like 75% of that. Um, what about copywriters that were formerly generating those first drafts? You know, th- they might be better served learning how to use the AI to do that and then um, deploying their skills more for the later drafting phase where AIs can't do it very well. You know, so that's just an example of how the collective uh, masses of people may be going through a period of confusion and transition. And um, the last thing I'll just quickly say, I do think the war is a big risk here. And we've got an active hot war in Europe. It didn't go away with Jupiter in Pisces like we were hoping because of the 1864 resonances, I think 1865, whatever it was. And so this could be building and continue to be a problem. And anytime you have Mars squaring the moon, that's what you think about war with people. And so I'm hoping that doesn't happen. 100%. I don't want it to happen, but we have to acknowledge the symbol of of the moon in Pisces squaring Mars. Sorry, one more quick thing. Fog of war is the key word I've been using for this Mm. because fog, when you have air and, and water, that's a fog. That yeah. those are fog and you have Mars heating up the water and air. I'm not sure about the science of fog. Okay, I'm probably getting something <laughs> wrong, but you see what I'm saying? It's like, what yeah, is yeah. real? Gemini, lies, deception. I don't think we even know. I mean, I try to follow this stuff with Ukraine and you can't even get the information. It's like fake videos. One side says the opposite of the other. So to me, it's part of the mutable challenge of the period we're in, particularly this year because of these areas ingress is like, don't trust things double, triple check, be aware that we're in a period where information might not be real. And there's really no way it might be impossible to even figure out what is real and, and just go with it. Right. Create around that. You know, I go back to creativity as the outlet for this stuff. Yeah. That does, there is a lot of creativity within this. I think that speaks to us getting excited about music and film and art and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, you know, seeing these transits, but you bringing up the confusion aspect and, and living with that, um, while Mars is still trying to figure it all out. You know, there's some tension between what's known and what's a mystery. Um, 
And thinking about the moon in Pisces and especially in such a balsamic state, you know, there's just no light. There's no light around the people <laughs> to, to some extent, you know, so we're not going to see, you know, if the sun represents that point of power, you know, people in power, like there's an aversion going on here. There's a darkness. So knowing exactly what's up from the powers that be, uh, especially with Mercury as well, being in this combust state that um so close to the sun and at least for here in washington ruling uh, or ruling the ascendant with that virgo rising you know there is that yeah there's this blindness there's this not quite seeing the, the go, go back to the confusion and not quite knowing and you know maybe trying to figure out but maybe being tired of trying to figure it out <laughs> you know and that being part of it um yeah it, well, in Venus, Venus is an interesting position here too, conjunct the North Node in her domicile. So she's in definitely a different state than than last year when she was sandwiched between Mars and Saturn and Aquarius. Uh, so what do you think about Venus's position, um, especially notally domicile-wise? Yeah, I think this is the, when I was talking about this earlier, I, uh, before on, another, on my channel, on my YouTube channel, the, the, I, I led with that mutable square. And then I was like, but the benefic planets in this chart come to great aid because look where Venus is uh, sextiling Saturn. That gives a lot of aid to Saturn and Pisces and, and maybe those kind of challenges around lack or uh, the lack side of confusion and the changes. I don't have, I can't cope with these changes. I don't have enough. I don't know how to do it. Well, Venus there can give a lot of aid. For, for America, I think this is about religion, philosophy, um, going with higher-minded ideals and ideas, learning. I think this can be a wonderful moment to just stay on the learning journey, stay mm -hmm. kind of expanding um, what we think we know and, and realize that we don't have it all. Um, uh, we're not, you know, we, we don't have all the information. And so this can really support learning in the mutable period, I believe, um, and staying with the fixed sign Taurus and Venus there, trying to settle in to some pleasurable learning, um, to navigate the change. One other thing I just wanted to point out is that you have Jupiter, um, just in something called, um, you know, just visible, just about to go under the sun's beam. So that's also interesting to me with mm. Chiron. I know we're probably going to talk about that, but yeah. I wanted just to come back and point out that the banking system, I think it's just a major, major theme here with Mercury ruling the ascendant and Mercury ruling the 10th house, Mercury, the planet of banking, mm -hmm. that I do believe that this American banking crisis is a major theme of this year and it's not going to go away. The bond market is the problem. I don't want to get too technical there, but Basically, they're buying all this debt, and at a certain point, the other countries say, "Hey, we're not gonna, we're not gonna let you export your debt to us." And so, just watch for that. It's in the news right now, um, and everybody can pull up these stories about the banks that failed this weekend. But that's gonna stay around. It's not only because Mercury, it's Virgo rising. Mercury rules the tenth and the first with Mars in the tenth, like anger around banking and money. But it's the eighth house pile up there. Yeah. And this is the house of debt and the house of the sovereign debt and that, and Mercury being debilitated, like you said. I'm nervous about this transition from where we're at with the economic system into this new system that's going to be born. It's going to take time, and it's very much Pluto and Aquarius, the digitized new system that's going to come online. But look for, yes, this, this part of it to be tensions around money. And I think the Venus 
placement is is a outlet for all of that. It's a place where we can go for safety. It's a verse to uh, Gemini. It's a verse to Aries. And it, and it makes a very close trying to the ascendant. And so in some ways it's yeah. like a creative exploration and learning and even, and even religious, because that's Taurus as well. There's a religious side to Venus can be a way through a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. She's our kind of sweet piece here um, to some extent. And especially if we go through certain things that might be confusing or we, you know, we're like, what's going on here? You know, a lot of times in those situations, we look to a, a higher, you yeah. know. Uh, reason there. Um, and it's interesting to think about, cause I think you're absolutely right about the whole banking situation, especially cause you know, when big news comes up with these shifts taking place and right before an Aries ingress, you can bet like these are themes that are going to carry through. That's just kind of the nature of it. And seeing that Mercury that, yeah, the eighth house pileup of sun, Mercury, Jupiter, Chiron, and then Mercury, uh, like you said, ruling the angles for the U S um, the first and the 10th, but also being in this, you know, mutual generosity, I guess, with that Mars, you know, with the uh, Mercury and Mars being in each other's signs um, and, and, you know, Mars being in the 10th house and angular, like, especially with Venus also ruling the second house of, um, you know, I, it makes me wonder if there will be help that is given once again in these scenarios when things, something's failing and then who's going to help out there and should they help out? And, you know, what's the, you know, the bigger issue here and are we just putting band-aids over things um, in the long run or does something need to fail in order to like move on to what's going to be next? And I think this brings up like just the big things you were talking about, about getting really clear on the fact that we're in this like even longer period of transition with Saturn being in Pisces and these bigger movements of Aries that are going to happen over time. Um, and that, well, you know, what is Pisces known for? And Neptune, disintegration, falling apart. You know, sometimes you got to fall apart to come back together. And yeah, so these, uh, and no one wants money to fall apart because <laughs> we we need it. But, you know, if the system's corrupt or if there's certain things going on there um, or, you know, past actions are coming to roost, <laughs> it's like there's consequences. Um which is interesting also, once again, thinking about this being such a balsamic chart with the moon and the sun and that being the end of a cycle, you know, what needs, what needs to wrap up? What are these last bits of pieces? What's like, yeah, it's, so it's a interesting time that we live in, but what does Aries love? Aries loves a challenge. Do we ever have any good Aries in the grass? I mean, I say that good loosely with some quotes around it, mm -hmm. but there's always a challenge, right? Yeah. Mars and Saturn are always somewhere. Uh, there's <laughs> there's no way around it. And uh, that's why I tell folks, it's like, yeah, Saturn's out of Aquarius, but hey, we get new the new uh, Saturnine opportunities, aka challenges. So uh, I, I, I just think you're very wise to point out the mutual reception, you might say, uh, I would, I call it that just because they're in their own domiciles and they're, and they're exchanging via sextile. I think that's, a uh, very useful mitigation. And then yeah, the second house with Venus there. I think there'll be a lot of opportunities financially as these new systems come online. And that's how I see Mars mutually received with um, um, uh, Mercury in the 10th house is that this year is going to be known maybe for the new actions around the debt system. As yeah. And, you know, we're seeing it now with um, these bills that get passed. I mean, the powers that be aren't 
they've got all kinds of scenario plans and even in the bill that was the COVID rescue bill in 2020, when they did that, they had it in that bill draft legislation that was removed before it got passed, but for something called a central bank digital currency through the Federal Reserve directly, where each citizen will get a, a crypto wallet that's a Fed coin, something like this. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole different conversation. But to me, this feels like a year where that is going to be advanced because you have the new energy of the Aries comprising the eighth house of debt and money and collective debt and, and shared assets, which is a central bank. And you have then Mars right there in the 10th with that reception and, and overcome by Jupiter. Um, you know, that's supporting Mars. So I'm, I'm with, I think that um, what you said about look for some opportunities here with Venus really in the second house as well. I do think there'll be great opportunities. This may be a year where it's just like new stuff comes online and we can get some support and, you know, um, it's, we're into some opportunity. So. I hope so. You know, and that's, I think that's the whole thing with this chart here is we're seeing some challenges and we're seeing a little bit of opportunity and it's all mixed within this space of once again, like transition and things not being entirely clear, uh, but we're working with what we got. And we're taking kind of one day at a time, but also with, you know, there's a sense of enthusiasm here with, Jupiter being in Aries and all that Aries energy. And of course, we're talking about the eighth house here for Washington, D.C., but depending on what country you live in, if you don't live in the U.S., you know, you all that Aries might be hanging out somewhere different for your country, you know, um, but there is that pile up. So there, there's that. So as always, I think it's a little bit of a mixed bag, um, but uh, we'll just kind of we're going to track it and see. Um, now, we will say that, especially for the U.S., because we have a Virgo rising here, um, we will want to look at li- the Libra ingress chart at the um, when the year is half over to see the themes there, because um, that's the nature of these Aries ingress charts. When you have a mutable sign on the ascendant, you always check in about halfway through to see what the next pickup of the theme is from this original chart. So we're not going to do that here today, but I'm pretty sure Gray and I did it in uh, the astrology of 2023. So if you want to look ahead, you can go reference that video again. So, all right, let's get into, let's get into this Aries season. So we already know that we started off in this balsamic phase, but that's not for long, right? Because we got a new moon at zero degrees, the Aries point, uh, the next day, March 21st on Tuesday. So, I mean, the chart's not going to look too much different than the chart that we just talked about here. Um, but yeah, look, look at that. Look at those two just hanging out on the Aries point. I mean, what do you think SJ about just zero degrees Aries as a, as a degree and its importance? Oh, it's a major, major, major important degree because it's the vernal point. They call it, I mean, right at the transition zone. It is the point in all of the Zodiac that is most um, about initiation, maybe than any other point of starting something new. And um, for our particular astrology, it's very important because this is where Saturn and Neptune will conjoin in 2026, which hasn't happened for 6,000 years. And the last time it happened, the birth of the calendar, the birth of uh, the Proto-European language, I mean, it really did kick off whole new energies for human collective reality. And so I'm looking at it in that context, maybe more than anything else, because of how Mm. important this degree is for our mundane astrology over the next period. 
Um, but if, in our charts, in our personal charts, I mean, I really would encourage people uh, to think about what you're initiating new and fresh during spring 2023, particularly before the eclipse season, because Jupiter is in Aries. Jupiter is co-present with this new moon. It oversees it. It can um, inject it with even more hope and optimism and, and kind of more ambitious visions for what is going to be initiated, what new self is going to come online here. It's also in the Egyptian term of Jupiter in those early degrees of Aries. And so there's a certain Jupiterian mm -hmm. quality that I would encourage people to try to tap into. Um, and yeah, you know, Finding it where it is in your chart is a is a is a useful uh, thing in my view to to engage in. The other thing I will say about it is that Mars being right about to finish its rebirth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I think we've been involved in these conversations of the new since Jupiter ingressed into Aries on twenty December, and then since Mars stationed direct on twelve January. Mm -hmm. This has all been building up to these two syzygies, the new moon and then the eclipse. Mm -hmm. So thinking about it in that way, too, it's the culmination of a few months here of newness and establishing a new self and a new identity. There's a lot of support with Mars moving faster and finishing out one phase of what it just rebuilt there in Gemini. Um, one last thing I'll just say is Gemini and Aries and how important they are and supportive they are whenever we initiate new uh, based on inner passion and a, and a kind of renewed identity, using the mercurial tool set to help with that writing, thinking, analyzing, there's a beautiful way that we can do that here. So you may want to write out like your new um, hundred word summary, like I did for Pierre Gant. What's your hundred word summary for the selfhood? And give in this like 2023 new period, and that might be like a, a homework assignment or something like that using that Gemini uh, Mars. No, I love that. And you, you know, you're bringing something to mind here too, just thinking once again, this interesting uh, dichotomy of the newness and the freshness of the early degrees, but it being ruled by that you know, Mars, that's at the very end of something that we're experiencing versus, you know, when we get to the eclipse, we're going to see the opposite where the luminaries are at the very end of something, but Mars won't have moved too much and it will still kind of be at the beginning of something in, in cancer there. So it's, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting, there's wrapping up, there's newness. I love that. That's a great homework assignment, you know, right write it out. What's this, what's this new self-identity that's emerging? Cause I feel like everyone out there is, is going through that. You know, that's the, just the nature of Aries. We've already kind of talked about that. And so here it is, here's that opening door. If anything, we're going to feel it like this, this is going to hit and we're all going to be like, like, <laughs> just imagine the eyes just popping open. Like, ah, I'm, I'm awake. Here we are, you know, I got out, got out of the, the Pisces uh, zone. Of course, we still have things going into Pisces, but, you know, when we get all the personal planets out of these spaces, we're going to feel that fire more. So this is definitely an initiatory energy um, and a cycle that is going to be a little fascinating when we think about world power, just because a new moon on the zero um, Aries point, you can expect some stories to come out, <laughs> some some powerful figureheads to be in the news um, and the world to be a turn in, I guess we could say. So and, you know, look at look at Pluto there just hanging out. 
29 degrees and 58 minutes, that planet is about to move because that's the next thing that basically happens here is the days of this week go on and we have first um, Pluto moving into Aquarius on the 23rd on Thursday. And then a couple days later on the 25th, that weekend on Saturday, Mars moves into Cancer. So, and that's kind of like the big, uh, you know, a couple things that are going on this week too, as we kick off um, is Mercury moving farther away from the sun, you know, slowly getting out of this combustion phase, but also making a conjunction with Chiron and Jupiter on uh, that weekend on, well, on Sunday and Monday. So these are kind of the big moves to get this cycle going, but talk about two major ingresses just in the first, it's like, let's bring a zero degrees Aries new moon. And then we're going to move two major planets into their signs. <laughs> yeah. Freshness. Oh yeah. And it's, and it's building on a month. I mean, think about what we've already had. That's fresh, you know, seven March Saturn into yeah. Pisces. That's a huge fresh. I mean, it's, I can't even um, exaggerate how important that is in terms of getting new energy for this, the Saturn cycle. It's the three year cycle of Saturn and Aquarius and the five and a half year cycle of Saturn and its domicile, a sign of its domicile. So this whole month, this is why astrologers for a while have been March, 2023, biggest month of the year, major changes, March, 2023. And seeing that Pluto and Mars, two days, that that next week is going to be major. I think it's um, even more so than this week with people talking about the square between Neptune and Mars. I feel like this week is actually the, the more important, but that's, <laughs> sorry, I don't no, want to I agree. agree. I agree. And you're not going to hear any of this until after the fact, right? Because it won't release until this week is up. But I think it... I think it is. There's well, they're, they're cohesive themes. It's all building upon one another, right? And that's what astrology does. It's all leading somewhere. So, um, now it's interesting to hear too, as we sit here with the March twenty uh, third, and and Pluto moves into Aquarius. Like we're gonna have an immediate, <laughs> you know, uh, that Moon's gonna move into Taurus and square it. So it's almost like we, you don't need, let's see here. Yeah. Look at that moon squaring Pluto on entry basically, which is, is pretty fascinating when you think about it. So, you know, we're all going to get a taste. We're going to need a taste on the day that Pluto ingresses with that, with that moon. And that's the thing too, SJ is that, and we're already, I know, you know this, but this whole Taurus Aquarius thing, we thought we, we thought we were over it with, uh, Saturn and Uranus square. No, this is, <laughs> we're, uh, we are only building here. We got, uh, we got Jupiter going to, and Pluto going to meet there. We've got eventually Saturn and Pluto that are going to meet there. And so these themes, um, so it's very fitting that Pluto gets ingressed into Aquarius for the first time. And, you know, a very long time with that Taurus moon uh, squaring it. Beautiful too. I love that. Yeah. I love to have a lunar trigger like that because yeah. as you mentioned earlier, these ingresses are extremely loud. Uh, I was like saying it's a transition and that's all true. And it's 20 years. That's all true. But no, on 23rd March, we could have some kind of major, major symbolically um, decisive uh, occurrence happen where we're like, there's Pluto and Aquarius coming through right literally in those hours of ingress ingresses. I've seen that over and over and over again. Um, and with the moon triggering, extremely important. The North Node is a whole nother layer here yeah. and how important that 
you know, being conjoined Venus in the Aries ingress gives the North Node a unique role this year, but Jupiter will conjoin the North Node. Jupiter will square mm-hmm. Pluto, conjoin the North Node, and square Mars on yep. the 21st of May. So it, I, this is very much building to some kind of climax in May um, with this first phase of Pluto and Aquarius. And I do think the moon, yeah, I'm just seeing that moon. It's like, wow, I, I'm I excited. I love I when know. the moon well, can because- activate. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we're excited, you know, like yeah. who knows what will come out of it, but that's the, yeah. uh, that's the beauty of being an astrologer, right? You see it, you see the formation, you see the math, you see how what's coming. And then it's like a child waiting to open their presents on Christmas. We don't know what's in the box, but we know the box is sitting there and just waiting for us <laughs> to, to open. So, um, yeah, no, whether it's Pandora's box, I don't know, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so this, yeah, talk about it, talk about an entry because it's not even just that, you know, obviously we have Mars sitting at the last degree of Gemini and, you know, any yeah. planet at the last degree, especially when we're talking about Mars, um, you know, there, there's, yeah, there, <laughs> the wrapping up of the Gemini story is definitely taking place um, on, on this day, but yeah, so you know, those first, that, that kickoff energy of the new moon is very interesting as the moon goes through Taurus and squares Pluto, uh, will, uh, conjoin the North node and Venus and Uranus, of course, which is always a party. Um, but let's talk about, let's get into that Mars moving into cancer. I want to pick your brain about old Mars. So basically, uh, Saturday, the 25th, we get another big change. Um, so what do you think about Mars in cancer as a expression of the, the warrior? It's a, it's a strange one. I mean, my words for any time we've got a planet in a sign opposite where it's com- more comfortable is unorthodox. It's my favorite way to think about mm-hmm. these energies because Mars usually is more of that Aryan expression, that Aries style expression that we were speaking about earlier, breaking free moving beyond taking action based on um, maybe uh, excluding what others believe the action should be. It's very um, uh, certain that when it, when it becomes certain, the martial energy, it's not going to check in with family or friends or others. It's going to do what it it, it requires. Passion is a key word for Mars. Mm -hmm. And so when it now comes to the sign cancer, it's filtering through an archetype the lunar maternal uh, communal archetype that is cancer. And so sometimes with Mars and cancer, we can feel restriction. We can feel blockage. And the other hand is that block blockage because the action has to check in with mom. It's like saying, Hey mom, can I go to the park after school? You know? And, and if mom says no, because dinner it's dinner time, you might feel frustrated, mm-hmm. you know? Um, Whereas the upside is that we can deploy those powers of passion and action into these kind of foundational structures that uh, we that are part of reality, right? Nurturing, loving people around us, the family, the home yeah. life, um, and so and it, there's there can be a risk there where people I've been around plenty of Mars and Cancer energy, and they can sometimes lash out and act out if there's a, a feeling of threatening of the family. You know, Mama Bear, the brood is threatened. That Mama Bear is the most dangerous bear you'll ever run into. You know, and that they can really lash out in ways that maybe are unnecessary because of the 
the perception of a threat to family. And so these are Marses that, in my view, are, I think Mars in Aries is way calmer than Mars in uh, Cancer. Mars in Cancer, in my view, might be the most um, dangerous Mars <laughs> because you it's this idea of perceived threat and then lashing out to protect. And so it's concerning on the one hand, but on the other hand, you know, I think in our personal lives, it's like all of that Gemini story, that whole new identity that was just built, that homework assignment. Now we can sort of get into action around people we love and who we're nurturing in our home lives to kind of make sure that those structures can support that new selfhood. And in that sense, it's wonderful. Um, the final thing I'll just say, Jupiter is the exaltation Lord of Cancer, and there's a mutual reception happening, an exaltation to domicile during some of the Mars and Cancer journey. That's majorly supportive to extend the initiations of the Aries into our maternal and home life um, as Mars comes into this uh, boundary. Um, so I think it'll be a relief, right? Eight months, yes. uh, over seven <laughs> months in Gemini. Now it's at least some new Mars energy. And it's not, it's, it's trining Saturn. It's not opposing it or squaring it. That alone is a big, is, yeah. is some kind of upgrade. So. Yeah. Amen. Amen to that. You know, get it out of that, that heady, that anxiety, that trying to think, you know, think your way through everything. Um, it's all up, all up in the, in the head zone, you know, where we, you know, Mars is not moving into its, it's strength by any means, but it does that, you know, every placement has its blessings, right? You know, when you think about yeah. some of the things you said with Mars, you know, taking action to protect what it cares about, um, or to, you know, uh, do what's needed there to develop that more in life. Like there's, especially if we're starting this new identity and we need, we need support. We can't, you can be who you are and you can do what you, you, you want to do. But at the end of the day, if you don't have people around you that help support the mission and care and you're, you know, you don't have any, like that's, yeah, it, it can feel a little, you know, it's not as rewarding. So having Mars and cancer really does put emphasis more on, um, what matters to people, uh, emotionally, um, and what matters to what you actually really need. Cause I think that's a big part of like developing a new, a new life and new identities and, and new missions and quests. And is that they're based on hopefully what it is you need, really need as a person. And so I think that, um, if we can get clear of that, and that's the thing, Mars is always going to kind of go back and forth in its sign of fall, you know, and the, even the idea of it being in a cardinal sign and cancer, um, cancer, you know, speaking as a person who is a cancer, <laughs> it's kind of one of the most extreme energies because there's two things that's happening here, uh, especially with Mars and cancer is a, it's ruled by the moon. What do we know about the moon? It's always changing. It's always, it's up, it's down, it's all around, you know, how's it feeling today? If it's feeling great, everything's going along smooth. If it's not feeling great, you know, that's where the fall comes. Right. And then something destructive can happen or anger or lashing out or, um, you know, feeling that perceived threat. Uh, you know, the cancer is all about security, um, too, and emotional security. And so it, it being a cardinal sign, uh, just like we were saying earlier with the equinox energies, right, of Aries and Libra, when we get into the solstice energies of cancer and Capricorn, these are the most extreme pivots as far as signs are concerned. Where there's a total change around. You're like, I thought you were going this way, and all of a sudden you're all the way over here. You know, 
So there is that dynamic to Mars moving into cancer. And it won't surprise me if we see uh, the world around us or people that we know doing these like 180s, especially when they're now in touch with this, you know, Saturn and Pisces energy and there's more clarity coming out there, right? Because, you know, Mars and Saturn together, especially in a trine, is giving us a more solid sense of our mission and what it is we're actually doing. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting placement. It's not without its challenges, but, um, I guess that's just Mars in general. <laughs> yeah, I see yeah. it too. We got to keep in mind the uh, nature of the water triplicity and in the ancient, um, system, you know, Mars does get power there at nighttime. Mars can mm. be empowered in cancer and you described it very eloquently. You know, it's like uh, deploying our defense, our active forces and defense forces, uh, having been in touch with who we love, who we need to nurture, who's nurturing us, that can very much empower our action. If we um, give deference to those other concerns, maybe before we take the action or in conjunction with the action. So I, I really do. There's always an upside, like you said, and and uh, it's worth just considering. I'm just glad to hear you talk about it, frankly, because um, it's not always just the kind of wild emotional Mars that's lashing out, you know, so I, yeah. I, I was a little too heavy on that, I think. So <laughs> no, but that, but that does exist. That does exist. One of my best friends who I love dearly, bless her soul though. She's got Mars and cancer in the 12th house retrograde. And we, mm. we make jokes about the rage because it is, it is a thing. It is a thing and it exists. So it, yes. it's it's both. Um, but I think one of the main things about this shift too that we're kind of noticing, right? You know, if Mars is our action energy that's driving us forward with a sense of mission um, and we're in Aries season, it seems like there is just this big switch that is the, the mission is getting out of the head and into the heart more so than than anything, right? You know, think about Mercury versus the moon. Like these are two different um, driving forces. And especially with cancer being a, a cardinal sign, you know, this is initiating energy, might be a little rocky in its initiation at times, but but it is starting something. So that's another thing to uh, take into concern where it was all up here. The pan was all up here in the head, but then you Mars moves into cancer and you're like, oh, but my heart doesn't feel it. And, or now I'm feeling this and like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And the Jupiter is where I, is where I want to just bring that back in because when I think about the cancer archetype, um, the, the, the things we think first are mom, home and body. Right. And, um, but there's this whole other side of it. It's like the matrix of the Gaian matrix of reality. It's it, cancer has this whole component to it, which is not just like my mom or my physical home, but it's like the collective mom, the collective home. And I think this is one of the most mystical in some ways signs because you're getting into the nature of reality itself. You know, what birthed us? What is mm. the entity that birthed us? Um, it's the rising sign of the theme of Mundi. And this is where the Jupiter can come in, I believe, because Jupiter is all about, it's a mutable planet, expanding our minds, you know, growing and changing through learning information or new experiences. And, you know, when we think about cancer that way, I, that's what I think of when you were talking about, it's like, this is like some, there's some, some Jupiterian here, or we can kind of act in conjunction or in coordination with Jupiter and let 
like explore, I think with the Pisces, uh, Saturn and this new creative foundation, we might, it might be worth considering here, just like what is possible, you know? And, and, and if you have a limit in that belief system, we all do maybe X that out, cross that out and say, well, look, what if it was different than that? Or what if something actually is possible that one didn't believe was possible and how that new belief might nourish in that kind of can't see mm-hmm. nourishment. Cause I think about this as the hype talk, you know, moms are great at hype talks. No son, you're awesome. You're good at math, even <laughs> though he's making C's, you know, the mom isn't going to want to accept that these, you know, mom energy is like, no, my son's a genius kind of thing. And so anyway, there's that side of it, which I think can be supportive for, of, of action, particularly when there's a mutual reception between Mars and Jupiter. And then when Jupiter comes into Taurus, it's a beautiful sextile. And so you do have this Jupiter support the whole time Mars is going to be here. The exaltation, Lord of Cancer, Jupiter. Yeah. So, you know, what's interesting about that, like hearing you talk about that is just thinking about the moves that are going to be made here, right? You know, Mars moves into Cancer on the 25th. And then we got that Mercury um, who's about to go over uh, Chiron and then Jupiter, which the, the Chiron, you know, we're literally speaking as Jupiter is moving off of Chiron right now. So there has been this Jupiter Chiron theme and and Venus has gone over this placement and, you know, the actual perfection of that. And here Mercury is now on it on, on Sunday um, and the moon will go through Gemini. Uh, which is, you know, kind of highlighting Mars's time there, but there's something to be said about, well, where's my brain going? Getting to this first conjunction of the moon and Mars mm-hmm. in cancer, right when Mercury and Jupiter are conjunct. And so everything that you were just saying about that idea of like the belief and like what's possible and like getting to this new sort of like change that like that was really speaking to me and these like double cardinal signs and thinking about how on Tuesday, the 28th, you know, all this, especially we kind of wake up here, uh, at least here in the um, North America with this energy of like that bigger awareness and that belief and that like, what's my heart saying? And like, what am I, you know, it's yeah. What you're saying really paired in well with that. Yeah. I, th- I think I, you, I mean, it's beautiful to think about um, the cancer. I love cancer. I mean, it's like, I'm a, I'm Aries. So you have that square, you know, but <laughs> my grandmother was heavy cancer and we were like in love with each other, you know, and we just loved each other so much. There was some other sinistry that was a part of that. She had Jupiter and Saturn with my Jupiter and Saturn. We were born 59 years apart and mm-hmm. uh, that helped, but there really can be a part of it that is um, this, the mystical cancer, you might say. And like Dane Rudyard writes a lot about it quite eloquently, where he goes into the, the whole nature of reality that cancer can point us to when we deeply explore it. And of course, Capricorn has the same power. That's why when all those pileups happened in Capricorn in early 2020, I think it hit, it did something foundational to everything in a way that it wouldn't yeah. have happened if it was like in Sagittarius. It was the Capricorn that that was why we kind of our whole reality turned on many cycles were part of that, but that was one. But you're right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, sign does matter. Um, And, you know, cause it all comes down to rulership. It comes down to the the function, the, how it realizes itself, what's the initiating energies or behind it. And so, yeah. And so there's something really sort of magical, but also challenging about, um, the week of March 27th, especially March 28th and, uh, 
Yeah. March 28th, just as a day, right? Because we're talking about this moon conjunct Mars. We're talking about Mercury on Jupiter, which only happens, you know, once a year, unless Mercury retrogrades over it or something, but you know, Mercury on Jupiter in Aries, this is a one shot deal for quite some more time. And so talk about the breadth of vision and inspiration and like kind of that bigger picture, that bigger, like, aha, or, and it's paired with the moon getting revved up by Mars while the moon and Mars are trining Saturn. Talk about like a moment where you might catch a glimpse of what it is, where it is you're going, feeling solid, feeling enthused by it, maybe feeling a little nervous because it's can't, you know, cancer energy. You're like, you know, you feel it in the pit of your stomach, you know, (laughs) your gut starts to activate itself in some way. Because we have the first quarter moon in Cancer that same day. And so we're pushing off the cycle here. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a big, this is a big day for the day itself, but also like a wider scope of uh, where you're going and who you are and what's to come and how you're changing and what you care about and what you feel and what your intuition's saying, you know, all those things. Oh yeah, it's a it's a foundational day, and this is. I just want to keep uh, throwing here the notion. I always watch Mars and Saturn for elections to find out where are these moons that might we might want to use for elections. And uh, when Mars shifts into Cancer, it's a it opens up the or what, sorry, we lose the the cardinal access we've had we've enjoyed with Mars being in Gemini for seven months and Saturn either in a fixed sign or a mutable sign, we've enjoyed this kind of free cardinal axis. Yeah. <laughs> and and that we lose that with Mars into Cancer just from a purely electional standpoint. Mm-hmm. But what it does is it opens up the fixed axis again. And that's a major theme of, of, of March. We finally get to enjoy uh, Taurus, Leo. So that Taurus moon that happens, I think was it the 19th where you have the moon applying to uh, Venus. Uh, it's the first Taurus moon with Venus and Taurus without Saturn in Aquarius. Oh, yeah. And and then we similarly get it the next this Leo moon while you have, and I will get to that, but it's going to trine um, the sun exalted in Aries. So there's, there's some real sweet fixed energy that's about to get laid on us that Mars's ingress into Cancer uh, opens up. And I think it's worth just having that in the back of our minds, you know, just how how useful that fixed energy can be for us now. And that's we all have a fixed sector, right? So like you fix risings, like enjoy this little period here in airy season, because I think you might be empowered in some new ways that you haven't been in quite a quite a quite a while. So oh thank God. Yeah. No, I will I will take it. You know what? A little fixed, get in that fixed fire or that uh, when you got all this rush of Cardinal coming in, that's when you need the fix, right? Because Cardinal, yeah. it can come and it can go. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, so you need that fix to kind of like lock it in. And that's 24 March, the moon Venus conjunction yeah. in uh, Taurus, just to be clear, I said 19 earlier. I think yeah. that'll be a lovely way to just get in. Friday this is kind night, of the pre-kickoff. Yeah. <laughs> Venus day. Fr- Friday night, Venus day. It's like kicking off the major theme of the rest of the year, which is Taurus, Jupiter and Taurus, right? And yeah. and we get this early kickoff. Saturn's not in Aquarius anymore. Taurus, Venus, Taurus moon. I, I'm pumped about that trend. That's my birthday, actually. Um, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I will. Well, you have every reason to be pumped then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't. It's actually a little before because it's like early Friday morning. And um, so it's, it'll, it's, I don't think I'll quite, my ingress chart doesn't have the moon application to Venus, but 
I get both the, the exalted uh, ruler and the exaltation ruler and domicile ruler of Taurus. So a lot of Taurus for me this year. I'm, I'll take it. I'll take it. You know? Take it. Run with it. <laughs> Build with it. Yeah. Create with it. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, it seems like there's kind of like a sweet, maybe like a little unexpected weekend with the Uranian component there, but not like, you know, we don't have the pressure of Saturn. Um, and then we get into this highly activated week of the 27th, especially the 28th with that first quarter moon in cancer. And we're kind of off to the races of what this new moon uh, in zero degrees Aries cycle is all about. Um, Now we have been basically highlighting the Mars Saturn trine for a little while now. Um, I don't know how much we actually need to talk about it at this point, but it is actually going to happen on the day um, on Thursday, March 30th, on the same day that Venus conjuncts Uranus. So talk about an interesting little pairing of, you know, Mars and Saturn solidifying together in uh, water signs in this harmonious flow but then the, the always the wild card of Venus and Uranus, um, which I have grown to like, and I better like it because this is exactly on my descendant. <laughs> so <laughs> I better, better like this one this time around. Um, but I mean, what are your thoughts on Venus and Uranus, especially Venus being in domicile? I like it. I think it's, um, you know, unexpected pleasures. We might learn more. I always think pleasure is something we have to play with and learn about because our, what we enjoy can change. And that might be a kind of Taurian um, obstacle or maybe one of the um, opportunity affirmations for Taurus, like where is my pleasure, how to consider other options for it. Uh, it might it might allow us to get deeper into the fixed uh, earth energy if with that uranus uranus like i could, like an example might be like this coffee shop i go to they have like a new pie it was like a banana chocolate i've eaten it a lot in america but they have it here for the first time and i was like i'll try it and that was an excited unexpected you know Torian style joy that could be that could be uranian even i go back to spiritual religious i i do think taurus has a, a big component of like ritualized approaches to the divine and uh, you see that a lot in the ancient texts and in other symbol sets. And so maybe there's some kind of flash of inspiration here about how to love God or create with like a godly supplication with the creative process or something like mm. this. I feel like a church hymns or something you could be singing here, maybe breakthroughs when you're just lost in the music. I, uh, you know, sometimes these guys are really dancing and gals in churches, you know, and that that you kind of can break through a little bit when you get creative and release and, to that creative flow, Sufism, like the swirling dervishes, the dancing. And so I go there with yeah. it. It's like some of that Uranian component that spiritualizes the North Node, I think, spiritualizes it all too. That's so interesting. So yesterday I did a, my friend was hosting a, um, it was this interesting combination of uh, holotropic breath work, somatic mm. movement, laughter yoga, and then a sound bath at the end. And what, what it was great. It was great. But I loved the, the combination of, um, breath work into the somatic movement, because that's exactly what I'm thinking about when you talk about sort of this, uh, you know, ecstasy and this ecstatic energy of like release and embodiment and moving and yelling and shaking it out. Right. You know, cause that's essentially like what's stagnant, what's stuck, what I, I love the spiritual uh, aspect of what you're bringing here, because, you know, think about Mars trining Saturn in water signs, Saturn in yes. Pisces, 
right? Yes. Uh, and getting at this point of like just release and wanting to move forward and getting in touch with your heart and what you want to get, what you care about and, and what's stuck and what, you know, like how do relationships, I love the idea of changing tastes, you know, because yes. it, it's true. We, we don't have the same taste over time, especially as your honest moves through Taurus for how many yeah. years <laughs> it's all changing. So literally shaking it up, like literally moving it, moving your body, jumping up and down, yes. like getting in there or like, or the form building of the music. I loved when you said kind of get, getting that special aha within something that you're creating, like all these yeah. things are really possible at this yeah. time. And so whether you're in a creative space or your, your relationship is kind of clicking into a different gear and it's asking something different from you, or you're developing new ways of getting in touch with pleasure and sensation, um, and embodiment, like, yeah, it's a, it's an uplifting yet shaking yet grounding time, like, which is a weird combo, but I'll take it. (laughs) I love it. And just to say this, this is that thing about the Pisces cancer trine. That's so powerful. Remember Jupiter rules both. And, and, and so I, I, everything I was saying earlier, we were talking about the heart, you were mentioning opening the heart with cancer. And I was like, this is like the, uh, uh, what is, what are your limits? Like explore what you believe, um, Mm -hmm. are limits and maybe consider them not being limits. How cool is it that you have the Piscean Saturn, which is way more a sign of imagination in some ways, uh, Pisces to, to have that flowing trine. Like, I really do think imaginal work can happen during it, it with a chart like this to just, you know, say, and I would never tell people to do psychedelic drugs unless you have, uh, you know, professionals around you, but you can do that with something like holotropic breath work. You can get into a space of that kind of imaginative kind of expansive space with, and these natural forms really glad you, you brought that up because, um, I do a lot of that too, with like my yoga tra- uh, training. And uh, that's a real important part of how we can open our minds is by using the breath. And that's what the cancer is. It's the body. The moon is the body. The moon is in cancer mm-hmm. some of that day. <laughs> Trining uh, Neptune, nonetheless, as you're talking about yeah, <laughs> getting to these perfect. altered states. <laughs> yes. So yeah. altered states through health, whatever that means for you in the healthy ways for creativity, for love, for relationship. And yeah, I think it's a wonder and, and it's all contained with the Aries activation. That's what's so beautiful about it. Yeah. It's like, it's part of that new self and the sun's exalted. And this is an awesome energy. I, now that we talk about it more, I know, uh, this right? is why I like doing the show with you, <laughs> Melissa, because like I get into it and I'm like, dang, this really is amazing. So, um, I agree. Uh, yeah. I'm kind of right there with you. I'm like kind of taking it, taking it all in, like. Yeah, the the possibilities are a little bit endless here. Um, so yeah, let it well let us move on. Let's think about Mercury here. So after our dynamic uh March 30th day, we have Mercury is gonna be the one making the next moves here. So we see it in um Aries. It's about to wrap up its transit there. So what it does is uh, it's going to move into actually Taurus um, on the 3rd of April, which is going to be Monday. So we're going to start a fresh new week. Um, Oh, my internet says internet connection unstable. Let it restabilize itself for a second. Um, Okay. So we have Mercury moving in to uh, Taurus. Let me just put it on exact. So here, April 3rd. And so 
Mercury is going to be like, oh, you Pluto, you got a message for me? You got a message that I need to share to everyone? Because basically, Mercury ingresses into Taurus, squares Pluto, but then goes on to try, or excuse me, sextile Saturn a couple of days later on the 5th. Interesting combination. Um, and we're going to start to see that, right? We're going to see that with Taurus ingresses, uh, at least the sun here um, that's coming up is we're going to see this interesting square to Pluto, but then this support from Saturn (laughs) that comes right after it. So what are your thoughts on, I I guess, Mercury and Taurus just in general? I mean, it's definitely a switch from Aries, but mostly that Pluto activation too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think about it as just being activations that are building. To me, this is building to that Jupiter-Mars square opposite Mars opposite Pluto that comes Mm. on 21st of May. So there may be um, early... Uh, this story is building as Mercury arrives in, in Taurus, we get more, like you're saying, communication, knowledge, details around what that major signature in May is going to be about. And then, of course, we have the station... Uh, retrograde 15 days from like yeah. what is that that would be the 20th of april um and i yep. don't think mercury leaves taurus until late may i, I mean like so- mid-may or um somewhere along there or no i'm just thinking no no i think you're right late may because uh i'm thinking of the gets into gemini oh june 11 wait did i did that right june 11th that's yeah, a long so- time it's a long time. And so that's how I think about Mercury is always like when it enters the sign where it will have a full retrogradation, it really does become a long, elongated Mercury yeah. story that can, you know, so we may be here into something that could take a few months to unfold. And it, this Mercury will oversee the the big transit, like we were saying, of the Mars opposite Pluto square Jupiter, as Jupiter's conjoined the North Node. So, you know, be prepared, start preparing in terms of um, what are mercurial things, writing, money, buying and selling, um, ideas, communication, business, uh, technology. There may be, uh, the I like the, the elongated mercury before the retrograde phase because it's when I start thinking about, okay, dang, what do I need to organize? What technology should I back up? Um, in the sign of Taurus, maybe like uh, art projects that I have going on. Um, how can I protect them or just kind of get them situated to survive a Mercury retrograde? I don't mean to be so dramatic, but it really, that's just how I start. No, thinking. I, you know, I think it's a good rule, rule of thumb there <laughs> to just kind of prepare yourself there. Um, and, and even cycles of, of what were what have been activated with Venus and Taurus and with the new moon, this is we might start thinking about the winding down phase of the full moon to into the eclipse. This Mercury is, is sort of nice to have because it, it is winding down its synodic phase. One of the synodic phases as at the same time, the moon is winding down and, and then this non-eclipse season phase, the between eclipse season that's winding down. And so it's all sort of winding down and Taurus, of course, the moon ruling it by exaltation. I think it, it allows, it, it will work in coordination with the action in the home that Mars and Cancer gives us to the kind of wind down and prepare for eclipse season during this phase of Mercury. So that, that's how I think about it. I mean, you know, these are always 
it's always for me with clients, like I wait for Mercury to station direct. Let's wait for this it to kind of shift. And then now Mercury starts moving forward. I think about summer travel plans that will all get kicked off after this Mercury direct station. Mm. Um, so that's, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, these are kind of the things I'm, I'm uh, that are on my mind. Um, the one thing I also say is that Venus ingresses into Gemini and you have that exchange of signs where there's something about mm. the aversion between Taurus and Gemini now with Venus and Mercury, both sort of supporting, but not really seeing each other. You know, how do we get, what is the um, split between body and mind? And like, even when we talk about pleasure, you know, it's like thinking too much about, oh, where, like this cake, for example, they gave me at this coffee shop. I was like, okay, where did this come from? Who made it? If I, if you, <laughs> if I were to get too obsessed about that stuff, it, there wouldn't have been a fun experience. And, right. But yeah, yeah sometimes it's good to do that. Cause what if it's some kind of toxic factory or something, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. No, that'll, that'll be interesting when Venus moves in there, because that is going to be a, a component for a while with Mercury stationing, retrograde and going. Um, back and forth in that zone. So that is definitely something to think about and kind of bring up um, once we get there. I, I'm thinking about our conversation earlier with the Aries ingress and how we were talking about um, the the instability of financial institutions and the, and the banking structures right now. And just thinking about Mercury you know, this transactionary planet moving into Taurus, which, you know, is a very much sign of money and resource and wealth and power and things along those lines and making that square to Pluto. So I really wonder, and then the sextile to Saturn, it makes me wonder if that story is going to be continued on then there too, or new news comes out about it, or something kind of shakes up there or new solutions come in or what have you. Um, because like you pointed out, you know, we have a longer cycle of Mercury going to be in Taurus. So all these themes, um, especially as it, because, you know, spoiler alert, it stations right before it makes a conjunction to Uranus, but not quite. Uh, so there, <laughs> there's, you know, there's something coming there, but it makes me wonder if that story is going to uh, be turned in some way too. Yeah, I think so. And I think that whole refreshment during the retrograde that will eventually Mercury will get to Uranus, that there is something uh, very important with Uranus and Taurus here. And that's yep. been, you know, uh, if you think about the banking, if we want to think about Taurus as representing the materiality of the earth, some people like to think about Taurus as like the banks or money. It's not my first pick sign for that, but I can mm. understand where they're coming from. And, and I do think it relates to certainly like material security. Um, yeah, the security but, aspect. Yeah, there may be, you know, this is an insecure time. I mean, just pull up the news. Like it's all weekend. I was watching this stuff. It's like every two hours, there's some new headline, some new policy change. And it could, we could see more of that with that Mercury retrogradation co-present with Uranus, finally conjoining Uranus after it clears its shadow. Yeah, it will be interesting just in general because we're, you know, we, you're seeing that and engaging with it while we're still got Mars and Gemini, you know, just side note, I'm wondering, you know, Mars getting out of Gemini, how that's going to affect the news cycle afterwards. But I guess we're, we're just going to have to wait to find out what that looks like. But um, <laughs> we'll we'll see here. Um, now, our next big move that we should probably move on to. So uh, is the full moon that is coming on. um It'll be April 5th on the West Coast, but it'll be April 6th for 
in the middle of the night uh, for uh, Washington, D.C., but in other places. So fifth or sixth, depending on where you are in the world. Um, But we have our full moon in Libra with the sun basically conjuncting Chiron earlier that day and being sandwiched with Jupiter. Uh, talk about Venus energies coming back into the fray with our Libra full moon and that Venus still in, um, Taurus Mercury sitting on the North node, you know, kind of taking where, where Venus was, uh, during the, uh, new moon in Aries. Um, but also Mercury being in this flow with like an intermediary between Mars and Saturn. So, what what do you think? There's so many different little nuances to this full moon, but what what pops out to you right away? I think right away, I'm 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 interested in uh, the axis Libra and Aries, and how this axis, when you think about the ruling planets of Libra, which would be Saturn and and Venus, they are not making that aspect, and so. This feels almost like tension to me, especially with Mars overcoming via the square from Cancer. I think there's tension maybe here between the imaginative, the inner realms, and the outer realms. Um, it, it would be a theme here, and uh, you know, confusion. I don't know if that would be a keyword as much as just uh, having to feed different tracks of our day you know i mean what if you're deep into like some imaginal and spiritual work here like along the lines of what we talked about earlier and then now you have a full moon in libra opposite this very dynamic solar jupiter energy that might be pulling you out into the outer world um you know that because this is inner outer it's it's so-called masculine signs and so-called feminine signs and that and that's that's what jumps out to me in terms of that Mm. bifurcation between those two there's different signatures yeah i can see that because the rulers are all uh, there's there's uh, they're they're so-called feminine or might might say night signs um of, of the moon whereas this powerful so uh, outer world signature still exists mm. and that's just you know so it's good when this happens i mean we might have to wake up go out into the world go to a day job do the stuff we have to do to maintain and then at night and that allows us to create the time to do things at night in our more private spheres that are imaginative and creative so these can sometimes work together but it may be you know, I've, you know, you're at your job, like, I can't wait to get home. You know, this is this, what I'm, what's really happening. Like my dreams, I want to go back to sleep because my dream life, have you ever had, you wake up and you're like, Oh shoot, I want to get back to that dream. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> Oh, well, that dream was so cool. It was like inventing some new language and like talking to awesome people. And then I wake up and it's like, Oh no breakfast. I've got to go make, yeah. bre-, you know, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back to the mundane. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that makes a lot of sense when we think about, I loved when you said, oh, I can't wait to get home to like do this, you know, and it's, it's, that's not Mars and cancer. I don't know. What it is. Yeah. <laughs> like, right. You know, with all that Aries energy activating that space. Um, I can't help but think, you know, one of the big things that comes up with Libra energy and especially Libra Aries. And we talked about this earlier when we were talking about Aries and its mission and itself and its desires and what I'm doing. And this is my world. And Libra is like, oh, you know what? You're in the world with other people. Um, or you have been in here with your your desires and your own mission. But has something been thrown out of balance uh, in some way? You know, like there is this kind of balance aspect and this relational aspect 
aspect that comes in. And especially with the sun going over the Jupiter Chiron conjunction, you know, there is, this could be definitely a trigger point for relationships. Um, and when you said tension, it really made a lot of sense in my mind because we do have a strong Venus. It's not, it doesn't feel like things will necessarily fall apart, um, there, but you know, Venus and Mars aren't talking to one another. The, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a serious and directed energy with the Mars, you know, Mercury tapping into the Mars Saturn trine. Something might have come up that's a little triggering um, or a trigger that has been going off for the last month or so now gets almost its final uh, hit, but also an awareness one, right? You know, you think about the full moon bringing something to completion or celebration or full brightness um, that we might've been working for, for like through before. So having the sun actually trapped, tra the sun is trapped between Chiron and Jupiter. Um, there, even though there's the tension and things could kind of erupt, I feel like there's a wisdom piece that could absolutely come out of this um, that might be triggered by something that is unpleasant at first, but the rebalancing and the awareness that can come out of it can um, facilitate moves that are going to be made past that point, especially Mercury tapping into the, the Mars Saturn trine. So that's kind of what I'm getting from this uh, right away. But yeah. Yeah. One other thing, just to point out here, there's not a syzygy new moon full moon and libra after this it's it's not an eclipse for some time mm. and so you have the solar eclipse in libra in the fall and then you'll have a lunar eclipse in libra in the spring and so this kind of this culminative new moon, full moon it's worth just thinking about libra here and mm. settling into a pre-eclipsed libra sector um, and just appreciating, you know, the, all, all of that it's all that Libra has been able to do for us. And in, with these recent transits as a, a rock, a place to rely on, um, and, you know, get ready. So, because this will again, be eclipsed. The other thing I would just say, I love how you're talking about the Mercury in Taurus and activating that trine between Saturn and Mars because I just think about, I always think about if something's happening in a sign, well, the ruling planets are where we can default to as a way to sort of manage or brave those, those energies. And, it, and we're, so Libra can often sometimes be people like agreements with people, as you say, it's not as much concerned with maybe the inner inspiration in terms of the Venus ruled signs. It's mm -hmm. the outer, like, okay, what are the rules? Okay. You said this, you agreed to this. And we need to talk about that in our relationships completely, but um, the whole the other side of the relationship is the Piscean and the Taurian, and just in terms of Venus's major ruling signs, and those are greatly accentuated in this chart. Yeah, and so it may be that if there's tension around the rules, we can tell our partners or our people around us, like, "Hey, I hear that. You know, write it all down, but let's wait and uh, let's focus more on creativity and just you know non." linguistic or verbal styles of relating right now because those might might be tense there may be there may be tension and then delay it you know wait until like mercury uh, venus is in gemini hey talk about the relationship or wait until uh, even i would say honestly wait until after eclipse season delay all this stuff until <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh i think you're absolutely right though about um realizing that what's illuminated here 
can also be part of a bigger story that's coming once we get to eclipses, especially a solar eclipse um, in Libra that's coming later in in the year. So yeah, there is a there is a knowledge what comes up, but hold space for what how it develops. Um, and maybe part of that is just working on your own inner dynamic within it, right? And it comes back to what you were saying before, and we're seeing these this this um these two storylines of what's going on outside of us and what's expected outside in our world. Yet there's these very private inner receptive sort of energies that are taking place um, at the same time. So yeah, there's a, it's a multifaceted story. (laughs) We will say that, you know, there is a multifaceted story coming on here. So let us carry on because so that we don't run too long with our program. Um, We've got a few more things to talk about. Uh, like, well, here we go. We're going back into, um, these, these earth water sextiles. Cause that's basically what happens in the days following the, uh, full moon in Libra on, oh, on April 7th, we have, which is a Friday, a Venus day. We have, uh, Venus who's going to be making a sextile to Neptune in Pisces. Um, and then we have, Where's my other note here? We have that Mercury. Uh, Mercury perfects its uh, sextile to. Oh, there's. Some, why is my internet connection unstable? Okay, so uh, we're back after some internet issues with me, which is so perfect for Mars squaring Neptune. Mars and Gemini there. Mars is like, you know what? You don't get internet right now. You know, you guys are not talking about anything important. But yes, we are. So I think where we picked up, I'll have to check the recording later, but I was talking about the earth water sextiles between Venus in Taurus, making a sextile to Neptune in Pisces, and then Mercury in Taurus sextiling Mars in Cancer and kind of perfecting that um, transit on April 7th, April 7th, April 8th, around around that time. Um, We'll definitely feel it with the moon in Scorpio on, on Saturday the 8th. But I think, you know, this kind of goes, continues on that form building that we were talking about, that inner richness um, and spiritualization and all that that we were kind of um, talking about in actually throughout this whole program. <laughs> so I don't know if you have any insights there at all, uh, SJ, but it's it's kind of Venus's last hurrah before the switch into into Gemini here. So there's that. Yeah, that's what I'm feeling more than anything is just the, the the impending shift back into at least with a, another planet comes back now into more of an outer world focused sign back into Gemini. And I'm already thinking, too, about the, the just the waxing phase here, um, because at this point now, eclipse is coming a major, major eclipse. <laughs> and I know we're going to talk about that in a second, but I mean, it's yeah. like. This is the first eclipse of a two-year cycle of eclipses in Aries Libra, and it's it's a major thing. I mean, um, everything we've talked about here so far about initiation and identity and who we are and all of the opportunity to write about that and explore that, this eclipse is going to come, and everything we wrote, we're going to have to rip all that up again. So <laughs> maybe, you know, not totally. We're going to build on these breakthroughs we've been able to have, but we get... We, we get new in, injections there that we can't even know sitting where we are now, what those are going to even be. That's what eclipses are. And so we're going to have to be preparing, in my view, to like in this chart, I think about getting everything done, 
you know, as much as we're drawn into the Scorpionic and the Piscean and this beautiful water trine, I, I believe, you know, this next moon, the Sagittarius moon, even, even that Aquarius moon, it's like, okay, rushing to prepare for the eclipse that's about to come and with Mercury about to station retrograde, this is kind of where my mind is like winding things down, settling in, getting that cocoon built, Mars and uh, Cancer, that, you know, to ride out this next round of, of astrology and Taurus season uh, post solar eclipse or, or pre and then solar eclipse, the land between eclipses. And then we're into that new, new, new reality. So yeah. th that's just when I, when I look at this chart, I'm just thinking about that context because um, now the Scorpio, one other thing just to say without Saturn and Aquarius, you know, this Scorpio moon has uh, the Pluto and Aquarius for sure. But I think it's easier in some ways with Saturn and Pisces and, and the supportive, imaginative, expansive part of our talk this, with the moon in Scorpio. We know it's not the ideal moon, everybody, but the unorthodox opportunities can be, you know, healing you know, licking our wounds, um, you know, make literally with the water, Mars water, you know, um, with the moon there, trying to process trauma in ways that can be productive and generative with the support of Mars and Saturn. Um, I always think about Scorpio. That's the power of it is holding space for the depths of things that aren't often on the forefront of our minds that mm. don't get included in the everyday conversations. And so that's, maybe a great opportunity here uh with uh we're back into saturn pisces mars cancer sex uh trying yeah. talk but the moon activating it uh, moon might... activates it mercury activates it yeah. Yeah. venus is in her own world you know yeah no i think that that's all very astute because the scorpio moon can definitely take us a place where we don't normally go or normally want to go but sometimes we need to go um and it's part of it as we move through this period of change um and what's transforming in our in our zone and i think you know when you said what we wrote before is getting ready to maybe be written again there's something to be said about that right you know, you start, you start off with this freshness of the zero degrees Aries and you're like, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. You get a full moon in Libra and you realize you're not alone. Other people in the picture, there's other things, you know, and sometimes it doesn't all have to be restriction of other people in the picture. Sometimes other opportunities come in, you know, and there's this other yeah. dynamic taking place. And then that's where the revision comes in at the end, because all of a sudden what the self was leaning towards or doing there's outside influence that comes in that revises that or rebalances it or kind of has that, you know, um, justice card effect to it. And then here we get to this uh, eclipse that is coming and the integration with all this. Right. We're talking about very integrative planets, you know, Mercury talking to Mars, Venus, uh, well, and Saturn and Venus, uh, you know, taking it all in with Neptune and that being a very creative aspect uh, as well here and what the forms that we're building. So it's an interesting lead up and it's very appropriate, <laughs> I think, to our developing uh, narrative here. Now, yeah. I, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, no, it's, well, it's I mean, yeah. I was going to say, the narrative, right? You know, I think we're about to get some more narratives because the next thing on the list is that Venus ingressing into Gemini on uh, the it'll be the tenth and the eleventh, depending where you're where you're at there. Um, 
I'm already on the 12th somehow. Uh, but Venus goes into Gemini. And if you've been following us out along at all, you realize that anybody that moves into a zero degree of, uh, <laughs> you know, especially another earth sign or air sign, she's going to make a trine to that Pluto pretty much immediately. So I think you've already brought up some great points about Venus moving into Gemini and that kind of back and forth energy with Mercury and Taurus too, and sort of this um, heady space meets the sensual embodied space. And when that works, when that doesn't, uh, all all that. Um, But it really speaks to me too about, you know, we talk about Gemini being kind of a sign of like definition to some extent. Um, and when we think about just having gone through a Venus, Venus ruled full moon and uh, talking through relationships or forming partnerships that are part of our new journey. And the, what does that look like? Uh, you know, doing the Pluto stuff of like getting, getting that all morphing, uh, coming into new change, but more maybe conceptually speaking. Um, but what's important here is we got to realize she's also saddling up to a square with Saturn. So we're just going to kind of <laughs> throw that in there before that quite happens, um, there, But so, I mean, what do you think about Venus and Gemini and kind of, once again, Pluto, Saturn activations back to back? I was thinking about the Saturn and Pisces now, because everything that's hitting Gemini, this is the, this will be the first Gemini placement squaring with a perfected square to Saturn. Mm -hmm. And we had Mars in that wide orb sign base square that, that ended uh, in the 25th of March. And so to me, this kicks open a whole part of the next you know, yeah. three years of like the Gem- Gemini curiosity using language to describe what we're seeing. Like you're saying, giving definition to the exploration. Um, what happens now with Saturn and Pisces pulling us more into a place where we don't want to uh, give this kind of verbal definition where it's more of an imaginative definition. And, and that tension between those two, I think is, can be fruitful where maybe we'll have to let go of an inability here of Venus trying to define, uh, and, and it's more Saturn that's going to win the day or the Piscean, you know, um, cesspool is the wrong word, but the, the, the you know, the, <laughs> the, 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 the depths of the pool, the pooling of all of the, the depth, the deep waters, let's say of Saturn and Pisces and how we might not be able to escape that now within anything going through Gemini. Um, and I think it can propel creative change. I mean, we just go back to the nature of a square being uh, generative, maybe the most mm. generative aspect. Yeah. You know, there might be times and I write down, this is how I'm feeling. And it's like, no, I don't know if that quite fits. And just going back to the dream realm uh, and then coming back out of that dream realm and we get the answer. So there may be other dips. There may be a few extra dips back into the nonverbal creative spaces that we're forced to take. Um and, and that's how I see it. But I, I'm loving it. I love Venus, Jim, and I just in general talking about love, talking about pleasure, relationships, verbalizing the sensations. There, It can be a very useful Venus because we build, we under, we, we can comprehend what, what the sensations actually are doing and how we're experiencing them. Yeah. And... What am I, is my internet going again? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I don't know what is internet from. Um, no, I think that I, I think that is good because you know what? What do they say? One of the most successful points uh, about relationship, if you're if you can really make a relationship work, even through the hard stuff, 
is communication, you know, talking about communication. And when we're in these back-to-back Aries, new moons, getting ready for a solar eclipse, if you're partnered with anybody, which I think we all are in some way, you know, that communicative aspect is going to be uh, important. Um, And it's going through its own thing, right? Because we already uh, highlighted that Mercury is about to retrograde after the eclipse um, in, in a Venus sign. So stay tuned for that story. You know, I mean, just Venus also being in a square to Saturn, uh, which will happen on the 14th, um, as kind of sandwiched between our last quarter moon and Capricorn, which is a thing in its own right. But there is, you know, ruling that being ruled by that Saturn that Venus is tapping into. Um, you know, these are always turning points with relationships and boundaries and commitments and uh, personal balance and values and, you know, thinking about all these things and bringing the spiritual element in, but also the the realistic, like, what are the lines, the facts, the, you know, how, are we talking about this or talking about the stuff that really matters? You know, um, what are we building together? Right. You know, that last quarter moon and in Capricorn, we're back to this, um, turning a page in a very tangible way. Right. <laughs> so it's an, it's an interesting lineup that, yeah. 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 And this is going to oversee both eclipses. So we have a Venus in Gemini that can be, Oh, just not over, it, the, this, the, uh, it will be in this sign for both eclipses. Venus yeah. is not going to have any dominion if for, from our major rulership schemes over either eclipse, but just that it's there, this is where the Venusian, you know, opportunities are during this eclipse season. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, everything you, you're saying as we're unfolding and rolling with the faded changes that the eclipses are going to bring, being able to describe um, how we're feeling, you know, it is, will be, a, a, I think, a, a useful tool, certainly. And you know, I, I like a good Gemini. I mean, Gemini, is, that's what it's good for. I, I, I like how you brought it up earlier, definition, because I think about it as it, all the sensations of the reality. And we start trying to, to to add descriptors to them and how useful that is, you know, just a yeah. process because we might later return to these notes, you know, I mean, it's like, OK, because these, these eclipse seasons really are like tent poles in the year. You know, I mean, even with clients, I'll be talking about these eclipses for two years, what's happened during these eclipses, you know, and they come up in readings as long as these are active. It's an ongoing story that the eclipse narratives are ushering in. And so I'm glad. So you might want to pay more attention to it in that sense. Absolutely. I mean, if you're going to look at the structure of your life and what happens and what's going down, just, just follow eclipses. If you follow if you don't follow anything, but you just follow eclipses. You're going to get the meat of the story. (laughs) Absolutely. And so this is the interesting thing about Venus, you know, moving into Gemini and squaring Saturn, having this last quarter moon in Capricorn, Saturn saddling up to uh, flow with the nodes, um, which is interesting too, uh, on a very kind of like baseline, you know, note, a hum (laughs) that is along with everything, um, supportive Saturn hum. But really, that's all that's going on from that last quarter moon in Capricorn to get us to the solar eclipse in Aries. So I'm just going to jump ahead there because it's an it's an interesting week where we just sit with Venus squaring Saturn sort of. Um, But let's get to our so April, it'll be April 20th uh, at like 12, 12 a.m. in Washington. It'll be April 19th on the West Coast here. I know it'll be April 20th where SJ is. 
But yeah, we got that solar eclipse, 29 degrees, 50 minutes. Talk about just, just barely, just barely making it there, you know, and obviously we got the North node out of sign here in Taurus, but not far off. Um, we have, uh, an out of sign, uh, aspect, a square basically with Pluto. Cause that's the one of the, right after this solar eclipse and if Taurus season starts, we have the sun squaring Pluto, um, at these fixed degree signs. Obviously we have Jupiter, you know, Jupiter's not too far off from this place too. And you know what we didn't talk about SJ, mm-hmm. we didn't talk about the sun conjunct Jupiter it just dawned on me. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't it. it happened somewhere in there. <laughs> when, when did it happen? The 14th, I think it was like, or the 13th, 14th oh is when, gosh, that, was when that, that happened. And that, that is so just funny. Just to say a few, a few some few thoughts yeah, about it. I mean, it's, we talked about it, it earlier, I believe. Yeah, j- just just the buildup when I was saying how it's oh, like April this 11th. final Aries yeah. opportunity that mm-hmm. we get before eclipse season. This is like maybe the culmination of it. It's the Kazemi of Jupiter on the 11th of April where all of that kind of pre-eclipsed identity work can be maybe culminate. Um, and that's just, that's what I'll say about it. I think it's a beautiful aspect and, but it's hard to, it gets mixed. It gets tied right into the eclipses because they, the eclipse, the solar eclipse comes only nine days later that it's hard to just dis, to disambiguate and to, and to, you know, the, yeah, it's in, it's intertwined the whole time, you know, it's intertwined the whole time. Now, granted, it, sure, we might see when the moon is in Sagittarius, we'll, we'll get a nice trine to that on April 11th, um, so, or not, sorry, April 10th on that Monday. So you might get a kind of a burst of shot of what the future looks like for you on Monday, April 10th, but it does lead us into that last quarter moon in Capricorn. We just talked about where, you know, the physical world is changing. We're initiating things um, on a very tangible level and it's getting us back to this eclipse, but I had to give that lip service because I don't know how we glossed it. Maybe because, maybe because the sun was, or Jupiter was combust in the chart. And so we just glossed right (laughs) right over it. So coming back to April 20th with our eclipse here um, and other notable things going on. Uh, we talked about the Pluto square. We talked about being close in proximity to Jupiter. Uh, Mercury about to station retrograde conjunct Uranus, but not quite. Um, and then, as we said earlier, we were Saturn being in this flow with the nodes. Um, and then Mars, you know, Mars ruling the eclipse over here in Cancer, but it, you know, it's got those sign-based squares, but it's not uh, to two Aries, but it's not super tight necessarily either. It's like all the planets have kind of moved on. Well, not necessarily. Mars will go back there. But I mean, what's to say about this that we haven't said already, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> A summary. Maybe we summarize it at this point. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. I think that's where I think maybe we glossed over the Jupiter, the Mar, uh, Sun conjunctions, because we've. I think we've really kind of talked. We've just been we, powering it home. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of the the themes of that are have been established and we've been exploring. I mean, and in this chart for sure, I think we've talked about it quite a bit. I don't really have, other than to just tell folks like, um, be aware 20 April, try to settle in and you know the philosophy of eclipses how do you engage with eclipsed reality different philosophies from different astrologers my my uh favorite way is to just kind of turn things down a little bit and just it's more of a, a feeling and an intuitive and spiritual time and so especially with a mercury retrograde that's going to start uh, yeah. only one one and a half days later or 1.2 days according to my software you'll 
you know, you want to be in wind down mode by this point and, and pray and settle into, you know, enjoy eclipses. I, I think that, <laughs> you know, I like to light candles and just, you know, try to get into like intuitive zones and spaces and Saturn and Pisces can support that. Mars and Cancer trining Saturn and Pisces, a little bit of a wide orb, but still it's that imaginal work we've done, so, you know, uh, talked about so much here that I, and then with your journal to try to like with Venus and Gemini to try to capture a little bit of that as it's unfolding in some words, if you can. Yeah. But that's how I'm seeing it all. No, I, I like that. I feel like the importance of words and the imagining and being more in tune with spirit, right? You know, you think about Aries energy and maybe it being more of that like Wansy or like Keter or like, you know, it's it's more up there. It's um it's a it's a seed. Uh so you know, is that kind of the, what is that? Like a Tibetan philosophy. I'm butchering this just FYI. Uh, but there's this idea that on a solar eclipse that, you know, the words that are spoken or the thoughts that are engaged with are like a million times more potent than they normally are. So being conscious of that space, um, especially as Mercury's about to retrograde, uh, you know, what are you, what are you setting into that super powerful seed? Um, that is, that is, you know, embedding itself in your life and in the world around you, just being conscious of it. And that's how we basically end Aries season. You know, it's a dynamic one. Um, and Taurus will bring its own stuff, but, uh, I'm, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. it. It'll be, it'll be exciting in its own way. Now, the question is, SJ, do you have a, a, a one word to recap the season that is Aries? <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, I, so I read that earlier and I, 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 so my word, I don't know. I kind of like, uh, ima- imagination. I'm just going to go with that, uh, because I, I do think that the trine between Mars and Saturn and these water signs with Jupiter being such an important component of it, um, Venus and Taurus during much of this period and the creative themes that, um, are so, so powerful that we described, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with that. I think I, I would add some other words, but if it's just one word, <laughs> yeah, uh, one I'll word. just say imagination. I would say like maybe imagination with nurturing imagination, you know, protective imagination, imagination with a uh, purpose or something, you know, reasoned mm-hmm. and decisive imagination, something like mm-hmm. this take, bring some of the areas in, but imagination. I usually let people slide on the, you know, okay. couple other right. descriptors okay. there. <laughs> it, it's, it's kind of funny to ask for one word, you know, because Anybody who's doing this program does not have one word for anything. Let's just say that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I do. I love imagination. It really taps into a lot of the themes that we have going on here. Um, So I am, I am down with that. You know, if I, if I had a word, the only thing I can really think of that just kind of comes in is fresh, whatever that might mean for you, Um, whether it is fresh energies coming in or it is, being aligned with gaining a freshness in your life. Um, you know, what is that? I imagine like a, a hot rush of air just hitting your face. Um, but it's a little cool too. You know, you ever get a, a breeze that's just, it's cool and it's hot at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's kind of what, what I, what I'm feeling. So it, I think they're supportive both ways. The idea of using that I love the purposeful imagination and nurturing imagination. 
because we're in this fresh phase, you know, and that's how you, that's how you birth things starts, starts in the void and then it kind of, it comes out. And so we are definitely in that void space. Fresh imagination is is kind of, I like that too. Oh, there we go. Fresh imagination. There it is. There it is, people. (laughs) Two one words combined together. All right, SJ. So I think we've done, I think we have done a a stand-up treatment to Aries season 2023 here. Um, Now, where can people find you? What do you got going on? Anything special to share? Nothing special at this time. I mean, I'm just, you can find me on YouTube. That's where I try to stay connected and and try to produce, you know, six videos a month or something or whatever I can get (laughs) out. Um, And they're kind of lecture style, but they're, you know, try to keep them somewhat short and just get into some of the astrology and the themes that I think are most pertinent. Um, Twitter, you can find me there. I like to tweet. I like to stay active there. And on both of those platforms, SJ Anderson, one, four, four, and, but no big, no big book announcements or anything, no big, uh, <laughs> shifts right now. I, maybe down the line, I'll have some larger projects that have come to cohesion that I can kind of share about next time I'm with you. But for now, just kind of day to day social media, astrologer, consulting astrologer and, uh, SJ Anderson, People can check me there. If you want to check out my, uh, reading schedule. It's all there. Really, really easy to find the top at the website and just click here and you can see the, my schedule and, and come find me if you want to talk to me about your life. So. Yeah. Perfect. Well, you know, I don't expect anybody to have like the big thing on board at this particular moment. Right. I feel like we're getting to the big thing on board. Um, so it, it's, you know, it may, it only makes sense. So I will always share a blog post for every guest that comes on this program. So you can find that over at energeticprinciples.com. So I'll have all of SJ's links there. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you can find me on Instagram at energetic principles. Um, you can also, if you want to check out that Spotify playlist I was talking about before, I'm also energetic principles on Spotify and I'll be making some more of those. So stay tuned. It's a nice way to marry my musical self with my astrological self. So I look forward to sharing more there. Um, of course I got a monthly newsletter, the heavenly wind that comes out at the beginning of each month. So if you want that hot wind, that hot breeze to hit you in the face through your email box, <laughs> come on over and sign up on the front page of my website. And of course I do consultations as well. So what else do we need to say here? Um, you know, if you're listening to this as a podcast, leave a review wherever platform you listen to it. It helps it be seen further by other people. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, share with us what you think about Aries season or what we've said here or what you're excited about or what seeds you're planting. You know, we'd love to hear more about that. Uh, share with a friend, spread the good word. Let them know that the astrological spring is here and it is a dynamic one. Um, yeah. So, well, SJ, it was a pleasure to have you back on the program. I'm so glad you were able to join me again. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a great privilege to be with you and, um, just, yeah, have a great airy season and I'm excited for all of us really, as we get into this, you know, the major changes that 2023 represents. So, you know, it's great to be with you to talk about them and, you know, um, yeah. So thanks a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you'll hopefully you'll definitely be back uh, when the time is right. So, all right, everyone. Well, we do wish you the best during Aries season. You know, go out, find your fire. It's always in there. (laughs) And we wish you good luck to all. And as always, may the stars be with you. Mm 